Welcome to It's Sedimentary, My Dear, conversational podcast about all things geology. I'm your host, Ellen. And I'm Jane. What are we talking about today? So today we're going to be talking about something that's cooler than being cold. You mean like ice cold? (laughs) All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. (laughs) Okay. Is anyone listening who (laughs) understands this reference? Bringing back the 2000s, it's fine. (laughs) Have someone out there got it? I'm sure you did. Yeah. Also, welcome back from our little winter break. Yes, thank you for letting us take a vacation. Uh, we appreciate you. Had a good, uh, whatever, end of the year holiday season, whatever you're celebrating and or not celebrating. Also, Happy New Year. Yes. We made it to 2021. It we is. made it all the way through January 2021 at this In point, fact, so we're yeah, good. We are, you know, we are full swing into 2021 now. Mm-hmm. By this point, hopefully, I'm not the only one who still accidentally puts 2020 when I'm writing it. <laughs> Uh, and then <laughs> has to, you know, refocus my attention. But, you know, maybe just me. Maybe everybody else is accomplished and they it's don't like, do that anymore. Writing is fine for me. But when I'm like exasperated and I'm like, it's 2020. Why is it like this? That's when I say it all the time. Mm, I for see. sure. Okay, I got you. You know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. <laughs> so instead of talking about 2020 and 2021, <laughs> today we're actually going to be talking about something that, as I implied earlier, is quite cold. Cold. Yeah, we're going to be talking about glaciers. Ooh, Ooh. it's festive because it's winter in yes. the northern hemisphere. At yes, least. I was in- inspired by all the snow that, uh, surprisingly, in my neck of the woods, we don't get snow very often. So it was, it was great. We had a couple of inches the other day, and I was really excited about it. But I was not excited for the people who don't know how to drive in snow. But that's fine. That's fine. It's okay. It's okay. I don't think you have to drive on glaciers very much, so it doesn't. <laughs> I don't know if I'd recommend that. Probably not. Also, I live in Canada, so I guess unless you live in, like, Vancouver, which is not where I live, uh, snow is an expected seasonal normality. Yes. (laughs) So I don't know what your background with glaciers is. I don't know if you've really learned anything about them before in any of your classes. Well, they're they're ice. Yeah. And they move and they change size. During, like, the Ice Age, there was a lot of them. I live in southern Ontario, so there's a lot of, like, glacier post-glacial action that yeah. <laughs> it land here yes so everything is super flat which is a change because i grew up in virginia i think we've mentioned before that like you went to college in virginia but we both grew up in virginia and now i live in the greater toronto area in canada which is very flat in comparison to where we grew up in virginia where there's a lot of mountains where yeah, it's the like last, the foothills of the appalachian mountains the last major glaciation didn't make it that far south it stopped in like pennsylvania Mm-hmm. So it did make it to Missouri, but it made it to the western portion, like the northwestern corner of Missouri. So it's oh, not okay. in my so current location. Yeah, no, I'm not close to it at all. Yeah. So unfortunately, um, maybe I should take a trip out there. It's, you know, it would be like, what, <laughs> six hour the, drive or something like that. See the flatlands. Yeah. Well, to see, well, I would see the end of it, you know, so it would be slightly mm-hmm. interesting. But that's about all I know about glaciers. Oh, and there's a bunch in like Iceland that I want to see. <laughs> that's, so, that's, that's what I know about glaciers. And there's some in the U.S., which was surprising to me. Oh, there's tons. Yeah. We'll, so we'll get into it. But well, I mean, not, I mean, outside of like Alaska, I mean, in the continental U.S. Yes. yes. Yeah. There's tons. There's yeah. tons. Yeah. So, so glaciers. You know, as you very astutely said, are ice that move. Um, the, you know, kind of more technical definition is a body of moving ice that has been formed by on land 
by compaction and recrystallization of snow. So hmm. there's a couple of stipulations, though, for... Not like seawater glaciers or something. Yeah. Yes, yeah. we do okay. have glaciers that encounter water, but if you have a chunk of ice that's on water, it'll be floating, and that's called... It'll a, be like an iceberg. <laughs> yes, you know, it's not, you know, it's not a glacier anymore. Okay. And we have... And there's also, like, you know, certain type of ice... There's there's different names for the ice that's interacting that's still attached to shore and stuff like that. We're not going to, that's mm-hmm. not what this podcast is about. We're talking specifically okay. about like land glaciers. Okay. So for a mass of ice to actually be called a glacier, the mass must be formed from the accumulation and metamorphosism, which, you know, we may not think about it, but it's really is a metamorphosis process. It's snow mm-hmm. is going through. And then the other stipulation is that the ice must be moving either internally or sliding as a solid block. Okay. And so not just like when you get like seasonal snowfall on a mountain that like compacts and compacts, it has to be moving as well. Correct. So there, okay. there are areas where snow completely melts in spring mm-hmm. and areas, those areas of the world do not form glaciers. Okay. E- even if they get like tons and tons of snow. So like Buffalo, New York, for example, gets tons and tons of yeah. snow. However, you no would glaciers. never get a glacier there because it always melts in spring. You might get like a pile up of snow, but it's still not a glacier. Yes, yeah. correct. Okay. So if snow survives in an area through the spring summer season, and then next winter you get more snow accumulating on top of that, with each annual accumulation, the snowpack grows and changes its physical and to an extent its chemical properties. Mm-hmm. And with enough hmm. mass, it will begin to move. So just okay. essentially you just need that buildup of snow that gets compacted into ice and then it'll start to move from the, you know, the force of its own mass, essentially. Mm -hmm. So a snow line or a fern line is an elevation in a region above which snow sticks around permanently. So Mm -hmm. anywhere that snow sticks around permanently, so anywhere above this fern line, this snow line, is where we get a glacier. Okay. So an easy example would be in polar climates. Let's think about in polar climates. In polar climates, snow lines are usually at sea, at or near sea level. So like Antarctica, mm, okay. by the way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they have glaciers that go all the way up to the sea. Mm-hmm. Same with the Alaska also has some places like that, too. Anywhere that's like in the Arctic, there's several of them like that. Mm-hmm. And then in more temperate areas, snow lines are usually just at like high elevations. Mm-hmm. However, however, temperature isn't the only factor for glaciers. So hmm. glaciers are much more likely to form at lower elevation, elevations at the equator than they are at 30 degrees north and south. Really? Yes, really. So let's talk about that. Why okay. is that the case? Because that seems bizarre. Like, why would the equator, one of the, like, you know, almost, not always, but, like, most places in the world, it's around the hottest place in the world. Why well, it's would also you... consistently hot. It's yeah. not like where you're going to get... Why would you get... A... It's consistently the same temperature. Get... Why would you be more likely to get a glacier at an equator than you would be at 30 degrees, which is obviously much farther north or south from the equator? So what's happening is the Earth is Oh, good. I thought you were going to ask me, and I had no idea. (laughs) No. So the Earth is interesting because it's actually... The climate of the Earth is not consistent in every single spot. And we know this, right? Because we see places that are deserts, and we see places that are like, you know, like Mm -hmm. rainfall, you know, stuff like that. The thing is, the Earth is actually broken up into these bands. Our atmosphere is actually broken up into these bands of belts. You can imagine them as like belts being wrapped around the Earth. Mm -hmm. And in some places, 
you get more rainfall. And in some places you get, you know, dry conditions. Mm -hmm. And that's why we get some places around the world where we have deserts and we get some places Mm -hmm. around the world that are like, you know, super high in rainfall. Mm -hmm. So I said that we wouldn't get it. You'd be more likely to get one at the equator than you would be at 30 degrees. Can you guess something that's big, massive and about at 30 degrees that is an indication that we don't get a lot of rainfall? Something that's at 30 degrees that's an indication that we don't get a lot of rainfall. Yeah, it's in Africa. Oh, well, like the Sahara Desert? Yeah, so it's, yeah. you know, so at that particular latitude, all around the world, you don't get a lot of rainfall. So in some places it displays as a desert, in some places it just displays as like, you know, not that much rainfall in those places. The thing is about the Earth, they're circulatory cells. And so you get, what happens is you get places where you, it's hot and the hot makes the water in the ocean you know, evaporate and go into the air and create clouds. And then the clouds dump the water and then you get wind that Mm -hmm. pushes north. And then people can't see me, but I'm making these like circulatory gestures. It basically basically comes down to that there are several different circulatory cells and they're basically between zero and 30 degrees, 30 and 60 degrees and 60 and 90 degrees. So at zero degrees, you have the equator. So you have rain. 30 degrees latitude is when you don't get rain. 60 degrees latitude is you get rain again. And then 30 and 90 degrees latitude, you don't get rain. And we will talk about that because that seems kind of counterintuitive. But because you're not getting rain, you're also not getting snow. So there's just a lack of moisture at those latitudes. So 30 and 90 degrees, you're not you're much less likely to get a glacier forming than you are at zero and 60 degrees. That's interesting. So I think there's these cells in the atmosphere that like it rains in the south, like it rains at like zero and then at 30 no rain kind of 30 30 north and south so yeah, it's the same on both south. sides of so, so the thing is, is it like they're like mirroring like each other okay yeah, yeah. so they're, they're convection cells and the thing is it's right. interesting because like the mantle within the earth also <laughs> I has convection explain cells. the gesture that i made to jane which was because <laughs> i like think a, i said like this but yeah it's like a circle with her with her so hands. like if you imagine the equator and then i just kind of like looped it's like a loop going north and then a loop going south from the equator yeah so yeah at, at both of those places there's a desert 30 degrees south and 30 degrees north correct yeah. So the thing is, well, there's lack of moisture. But yeah, not the, necessarily desert. But yes. Yes. And I mean, the Sahara is, you know, the the desertification in that area is actually pretty, it's pretty a wide latitude. It's not just at 30 degrees yeah. solely. But, you know, anyway, the point is that we do have convection cells see... of the earth and you have different climate effects in different parts of the earth because of it. And we'll, we'll probably talk more about, you know, I, I do want to do an episode where we talk about weather and climate. So we'll probably talk about it there. Apparently, these are called the horse latitudes. Yes, because what people, <laughs> they're also called the doldrums. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, because what happened, they're called the horse latitudes because people, what happened was ships would get stuck um, yeah. in the doldrums because there's no wind. So they would throw yeah. their horses overboard. Oh, so they would have less weight. Less weight. <laughs> oh. So that's why they're called the horse latitude. That's 60 degrees. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, but like if you look at this on the, on a map projection of the, the earth you can see pretty clearly bands of dryness in those areas that's like 30 degrees north is the sahara where the sahara is and like maybe some parts of the southern u.s it looks like um and like mexico and then 30 degrees south is like um south like the you know southern tip of africa where you can see there's more desert or like kind of it's drier climate and australia like northern australia is there too for example 
Cool. We will have a, another more thorough discussion of climate. That's just the basics. Mm. It's something to understand is that to have glaciers, you need to have snowfall. And if you're in an area of the world that doesn't get a lot of accumulation of snow, then it's unlikely or it may take longer for you to get a glacier. So at the equator, you're more likely to get glaciers than at, at 30, degrees. 30 degrees and 30, 30 degrees north and south because there's precipitation there. Correct. You're saying. There's moisture there. Yes. Okay. So if you're at the equator, but you're at latitude, at, or, excuse me, if you're at the at equator, altitude. but at altitude, so you're at a much higher elevation, huh. you're more likely to have a glacier than you would be at 30 degrees. Hmm. So, okay. Interesting. So the thing is, though, how does snow become a glacier? Well, Ellen, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so snow becomes glacial ice by, these are the technical terms, being rounded and smushed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when we have... <laughs> Do you say rounded and smushed? Yes, rounded and smushed. Because we don't have, we, don't, we can't have the hot squish. Yeah, this is not, not hot squish, hot. this is round smush. Okay. It's slightly different, I see. Yeah, it's not hot squish. That's a completely different thing, Ellen. Keep your technical <laughs> Well, you terms said it straight. was like sedimentary processes, which is the hot squish, isn't it? So No, so hot squish is metamorphic process. Oh, sorry, this is, you're but right. This is, this is round smush, okay? Round okay. smush, hot squish right. are two different All right. things. All right, completely different. You can't have I hot understand. with ice. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I so guess yes, the round smush. Rounding and smushing. Correct. So okay. new fall, new snow, when it falls, has a pretty low density. And I mean, we're all aware of this. You know, you can pile it on yourself. No problem. You can grab handfuls of snow and throw it at people or whatever. And unless you compact it, it just flies out of your hand and scatters everywhere. So usually new snowfalls density is about like 0.05 to 0.07 grams per centimeter cube, which is like really, really light. And new snow... If you've ever had the opportunity to see really big snowflakes, you can see they have these beautiful crystalline shapes and they're all unique and special and amazing with little like pointy little star bits and these beautiful crystalline <laughs> shapes get crushed. <laughs> so you take these beautiful crystalline shapes and you crush them okay. and when you crush them, become they become more spherical. They become okay. more rounded in shape. Mm -hmm. The points are actually removed. Generally, they're removed by kind of wear and tear, like normal wear and tear. So once snow reaches the ground, they get removed by falling, right? Like no, no, no. Okay, they still have their points when they land, but interesting. Most of the time, when they're blown around by wind, mm. or there's a process where water molecules move close to the center of a snowflake, water mo mm. molecules are always trying to get more comfortable. Everybody's trying to get more comfortable, mm -hmm. and they do that by being close together. Okay. Atomically close together. So this is <laughs> Not actually just being like emotionally close together. Yes. That's so this is this is a thermodynamic principle, and it relates to free energy moving towards a minimum level of energy by reducing the surface area of the crystal. But I just like to think that snowflakes and snow crystals just want hugs, like they just want to <laughs> hold hands. You know. So I think that's what you should take away from this is that all uh, molecules just want to hug. You know, I understood all those out. words individually for sure, but not all together. <laughs> they just want to hug it out, you know. They want to be at the lowest do... energy possible. This is also why water has like a high surface tension, right? Is it the yeah. same principle? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So yes. water, when you see water wants to stick to itself in, yes. I guess, in any form is what you're saying. So yes. like as, as liquid water or as solid frozen water. Yes. And it wants to be as close together as possible. Interesting. And like ice, um, when it forms ice, there's a lot of space molecular space yes in there. so we'll talk about that but mm. later this is relevant okay yes <laughs> good snow that survives i'm helping <laughs> you are helping so it's still okay. called snow though even though we're rounding it out but snow yeah. that survives a year becomes granular and it has a higher density so it goes from 
you know, 0. what was it? 0. Yeah, less 0. than 5. a potato chip or whatever. Yes. 0.05 to 0.55. So it's a significant leap in, okay. in density, you know, grams per cubic centimeter. Yeah. And it now has a more rounded shape. So this type of snow has a new name and it's called fern. So this is kind of oh, like step that's two. why it's called the fern line. Yes, F I R N. And it's okay, kind of, I also it's thought, next I thought step. you were no, talking about like the plant. plant. Yes, no, not like the plant. <laughs> but you know that I'm obsessed with ferns from yes. the like uh, geologic timeline. Yes. And just in general. Episode. Yeah, and just in general. Yeah. So plant lady. So step one is get snow. Step two, get fern. So <laughs> okay, hold your horses though. It's much okay. denser than fresh snow, but still permeable to water percolating through it. So it's oh. not glacial ice yet. Okay. okay. There's still Can some pore space available. Like, yeah. what is it like? Yeah, it's just rounded snow. I mean, so it's like... So fallen snow, even like wet fallen snow is still like 0.5. Like, it's not... Yes, it's still very low density. But you, can you like grab it? Like, yeah, can you fern. Grab fern? Yeah, you can grab fern. So yeah. you can like pick it up and chunk it off like yeah. a snow, snowball. At that point, it's more like a, it's more like an ice, but it's like a loosely compacted ice. Okay. So you can still like use a, you know, an ice pick or whatever and get a chunk of it off but can it's not you gonna not ch- it's not gonna off come off ice? you can but it, it come it breaks at zones of weaknesses within the crystal versus with fern there are already existing zones of weaknesses that are just pore space so you can just mm. kind of it'll just come off in like you okay know, i understand irregular shapes rather than like a more you regular crystal cut shape. It or whatever like a, no, okay i see what yes. you're saying okay i understand yes i hope so, everybody else can visualize but i kind of get what you're talking about it's yeah it would look like uh craggly if you broke it i guess as opposed to being crystalline or whatever yes in like a I more guess. regular shape yeah okay. so the time needed to change snow to fern just depends on climate and mm-hmm. pressure and all, but you know added the pressure is added from additional snow accumulation okay but temperatures near freezing or areas with some freeze thaw kind of action actually speed up the process of creating fern mm-hmm. but this is kind of well, shocking i think that areas that are super super frigid all the time that are way below you know way below 32 degrees all the time they actually slow the process down significantly i actually believe that having lived in canada now (laughs) (laughs) because when the snow falls if it's super cold it doesn't melt and compact together at all yes like it'll just stay as dust yes so So, i understand (laughs) i can visualize this my experience has taught me yeah Yeah, it can take years in places like that for snow to become interesting okay to actually become the rounded, yeah, compact more compacted uh, type of snow. Hmm. More of an ice than a snow, you know. Mm-hmm. So fern then goes through a four-process, four-step process of densification is the term, you know. Okay, that denser, makes sense. And that turns it into glacial ice. And I was going to go through it, but honestly, it's a bunch of chemistry mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> so <laughs> Is there a way that you could explain it at yeah, a Yeah, so I'm just going to, I'm doing it. I'm doing it in a mumbo jumbo. It, it is. I'm what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna say a summary of the process is that water molecules, again, like to be besties. They try to be mm-hmm. as close as possible and be in a very comfy atomic arrangement. Okay. So that's true. And then water as it freezes, it expands. So the yeah. ice becomes more solid, but the crystals also become more large in the process of this expansion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's pretty it. Yeah, they're taking the molecule it. is actually taking up more physical space at the atomic level, is what yes. you're saying. But okay. the molecules are more so glacial ice is different from regular ice because glacial ice yeah. actually the water molecules are physically closer to each other than they okay. are in regular ice. Okay. So you have a denser type of ice. 
than hmm. you would just like your freezer ice. You Interesting. Know what I mean? mm-hmm. Because yeah. the freezer ice is not being forced to no, compact it's in itself a, in over a, time with weight. It's in a in a in a form, but the form has an open top where yeah. It can so it's like up. this is this is a, a normal human, and then glacial ice is like Giles Corey. You know, it's just more <laughs> weight. You know, just pressing it down. <laughs> Oh, everybody prepared their chemistry and literary references for today. Well, they both have crucibles. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's the whole yeah. point. Uh-huh. This okay. entire process reduces pore space <laughs> and increases reduces the density. Pore, pore space? Oh, yes. so when you say pore space, you mean the space between molecules or the space between like chunks of ice? Space, space between chunks of ice. I mean, it's okay. both. Technically, both is happening. But when we talk about okay. pores, we talk about a term called porosity. And when we talk about porosity... It's really just how much air space is there in between your various chunks of ice. Okay. And we use this term also when we talk about, you know, rock formations as well. And also mm-hmm. things like aquifers. So okay. uh, it's another, you know, it's another term that we use all the time. But anyway, mm-hmm. okay. so porosity is reduced, right? Mm-hmm. Your pore space is reduced. Density is increased. And it goes, it was 0.55 as fern and now it's 0.8 to 0.85. So it's wow. getting much denser. So the only thing that's the only air that you have left now at this point when it's glacial ice is that you may have additional like little isolated air bubbles that are trapped in the ice, but Mm -hmm. they actually slowly over time get expelled because of compaction. So they get smooshed out. So wait, so so the four steps. So you gave a summary, but the four steps were like. Wait, so you said from fern to glacier. It's not four steps, it's three steps. Yeah, from fern to glacier ice. So it's like fern, snow, fern, um, glacial ice. Yeah, but then, like, what's how does it go from? Or is it all just it's all the molecules get closer together, the air gets compressed out. That's basically it, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. There's refreezing that occurs, and the the most important part is that the crystals melt and regrow into especially large crystals, and that's really what's the formation of the glacial ice. And the thing is, this takes time. This is this this is a year's process. This is, over, this is not over time. Yes, this is like at least eight years or so. This is not like an instantaneous process. Do they melt because ice is going into the pore? I mean, water is going into the pores, or some of it's that. Some of it is exposure to the sun. Some of it is mm-hmm. the like friction from the compaction. They're not moving yet. Okay, so no. But also, it's warmer you know, at the bottom of a pile of ice and it would be at the top of a pile of ice because you it's have... insulated. You're saying yeah, it's insulated. Yeah, that's why it's, you get melt okay. from that. So really? most glaciers have water on the bottom of them, which we'll talk really? about. Yeah. Oh. So this process happens faster in temperate regions than at the mm-hmm. poles, which we talked about before. Mm-hmm. But the reason why is, and I know we mentioned, you know, deserts and situations, Antarctica takes 85 meters of fern accumulated to get that same density, that 0.85 grams per cubic centimeters density, okay. versus in Alaska at the upper Seward Glacier, it only takes 13 meters of fern. And that's because Antarctica is... It's colder than it's Alaska. It's colder, A, and B, there's less accumulation in general. So it just takes longer, it takes in more Antarctica? fern to get it together. Yes, Antarctica is a desert. It's the largest desert in the world. Right, it's just there's a hardly super any... cold desert, but there's yes. not a lot of participa- precipitation there. Correct. Yes. Right. It just, the snow stays there and it falls and stays there and blows around. Yes. And then it takes a very long time right. to get enough of it together to actually turn it into a glacier. Oh, so it's amazing how big that. the glacier is already. Yeah. <laughs> well. You know what I mean? That's for now. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. When you think about it. Yeah. 
So glaciers. 85 meters. 85 meters yeah, of versus, snow. Versus 13 meters of snow in Alaska. Uh-huh. Yeah. That seems, 13 seems a lot more reasonable. <laughs> so for the anatomy of a glacier, it's all really about mass Jeez. balance, like how you how you build these glaciers. And mm-hmm. mass balance, the other term people use is glacial budget. Um, basically, it's accounting for the gains and losses in mass in a glacier during a specific time interval. And okay. most people use a year. So they say in a year, we have added water and snow during this mm-hmm. period, and we call that accumulation. And then anytime you have melting or evaporating, wind erosion, sublimation, breaking off of large chunks, which is called calving. I think I think people know what melting is, but can you just explain sublimation for maybe if sublimation have is a good, moving from a solid to a gas. So if you have ice, ice and to it's, steam, correct. So when ice is interacts with sunlight a lot of times Mm -hmm. you will get some water also but some of it actually just evaporates off as gas the oxygen breaks free and evaporates off as gas if you have the honor of living in a cold place and hydrogen you will see this often yeah you see it sometimes when it's like it's been really cold and then the sun comes out and then you can see kind of like gas coming off of the snow so all of these you can see it in your house actually if you open your freezer usually you you can see sublimation yeah usually so (laughs) <laughs> Anytime you have a loss, it's called ablation. So we have accumulation ablation. and ablation. Those are the two okay. words that we use. So we have, this is going to be shocking to you, we have <laughs> a zone of accumulation. That's where the glacier is gaining, you know, snow and turning into more glacier ice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So usually this is at higher elevations along the glacier. Mm-hmm. And then we have... This is also a shocker, the zone of ablation, which is where the glacier is losing. So generally, it's a lower elevation along the glacier or like closer to a coastline or whatever, if it's a temperate glacier. Um, In between these two zones, we have something called an equilibrium line. So at that point, the annual ablation and the annual accumulations are equal. Mm -hmm. And above this line, we have the fern line or the snow line, which we talked about earlier. Okay, so it's like fern highest up. Uh, zone of accumulation. Zone of accumulation is a zone. It's not just a line. You know, it's like a. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. From the, you can say it would the imaginary, the, line, I the imaginary middle of a glacier to the top where the, you know, the headwaters were that created the glacier. You know, or the top okay. of the peak or whatever. Yeah. The fern line is above the equilibrium line because remember the fern line is where you can get yeah a constantly glacier. have snow. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have enough snow to get a glacier, and it's and the snow stays constantly, and that's how you get mm-hmm. a glacier. So that's why the fern line is above that equilibrium line, because at the equilibrium mm-hmm. line, you're not gaining or losing anything, you know? Mm-hmm. You're not creating ice. Yeah, then below the equilibrium line is the zone of ablation where it's you're losing, yes. probably. It has become Mostly. liquid. And it I guess also I know now. there's a lot of people uh, who listen to this from different countries, so the word ablate just means, like, remove. Or yes. Just, I, don't, I don't know if that... Anyway, just saying. Yes. Just yeah, no, we, in geology, <laughs> we use fancy terms, but a lot of times they are as as direct as they can be. So that's why it's <laughs> a called a blade, which remove, is to remove. But, yeah. And then. But zone of removal zone doesn't of really sound ablation. good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think they just want the alliteration. I don't know, old, old geologists. <laughs> zone of ablation. I mean, it makes sense. I'm just throwing that out there just in case people are, I don't know, want no, need to know who don't yeah. know. No, yeah. I don't understand. And okay. there are, next thing I want to talk about is the different types of glaciers. Okay. So 
There are also, unsurprisingly, there are different ways to talk about the different types of glaciers because it's never enough just to categorize one thing as one thing. You always got to give it like <laughs> a bunch of different categories just to Kay. keep it fresh, you know. So <laughs> there's the morphological definition and the way to okay. talk about them in that way, the dynamic definition. So the way and they formed or the way they moved, right? We will the talk about move? that. No, these okay. are different things. These are all different okay, things. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And thermal classifications okay so thermal is really heavily chemically based and i'm not really going to talk about it because it's pretty boring and <laughs> frankly dynamic is also kind of boring but the three categories real quick the three categories are active passive or dead so okay. active means that there's high rates of movement mm -hmm. passive means there's low rates of movement and dead mm -hmm. means there's no discernible movement in the ice. Okay. So I think that's boring. So I just was like, I don't care. That's it. That's I mean, all you that's know fine. About it. That makes sense. So morphological then, then yeah. is what you're Morphological is the one. Yes, that's the one I think is most important. So in morphological, we have essentially kind of two end member groups for glacial types. And the first one is valley glaciers, which I think are some of the more interesting ones, personally. So another term for those are alpine glaciers. Okay. The cool because, ones. Because you, you see them in the Alps, you know, so that's why, uh -huh. that's why they're called Alpines. So a valley glacier is streams of ice that flow down valley well okay. beyond, you know, the starting point of this particular, you know, this particular glacier. Okay. Like a river of ice. You can kind of imagine it as just like one solid snake of ice, you know. Okay. And an example of this would be Eustadal Glacier in Norway, which is like a beautiful, like a perfect example. It's great to look at. A kind of like subcategory of a valley glacier is called a cirque glacier. So a cirque glacier usually is found at the 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 head, you know, the top of this valley glacier. Because it's like you have to have a head and you have to have an end. The end mm -hmm. is usually whatever is downhill, right? So at the very top, the highest elevation, you'll have a cirque a lot of times. So a cirque is a flowing ice stream, but it's restricted to kind of a like an inverted dome. In my book, they described it as an, an amphitheater shape depression. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's at the headlands of your valley. Okay. So yeah, it's like a, it's, that's why it's called a cirque. It's like a circle, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times these domes have, they're not like a perfectly rounded dome. You'll have one side that's higher than the other and one side that's kind of lower than the other. Mm -hmm. And, and the low side is where the, the, the cirque glacier has like eked its way over, you know? And that's when you got the start of your valley glacier, you know? Oh, okay. I understand. So the, an example of a cirque, like a really beautiful example of a cirque is Eel Glacier which is on Mount Anderson in Washington State. And that one's gorgeous too. I have a lot of feels about glaciers. I'm looking it up. Unsurprisingly, I have a lot of feels about glaciers because they're very beautiful to look at. They were one of my favorite units we did in class just because they're, so, they're just awesome to look at. So I can't, I can't see an actual photo of the Cirque like just Googling. Eel Glacier. Let me see. You can just Google a Cirque. Just Cirque. Google Cirque Glacier. Q U I mean, maybe this is it. Oh, but uh, yeah. It's just a bowl of Mount ice. Anderson? Yep. The next end member, excuse me, the next end member category of glaciers in the, you know, the morphology category is ice sheets. So ice sheets are, instead of our valley glaciers where they're like a snake, a solid snake of ice, ice mm -hmm. sheets are broad and they are flowing ice masses, but they're not confined on any sides by any sort of valley. Okay. And they're a dome shape, but it's like a very, it's a, it's a fairly subtle dome. It's not like a, you know, a giant mound, you know, that you would expect. 
but the ice flows out in all directions from the you know the top oh from like the top so it's like okay because when i think of a glacier i think of i think i think of like a valley glacier where it's like oh imagine like a valley and there's a big chunk of ice in the middle and it like moves down the valley but you're saying i mean obviously like there can be sheets of ice on top of things that are not restricted by a valley so this is kind of like that it's like it's formed on its own on top of something i guess on top of the the rock there or whatever the thing is, is it's huge. Like an, an ice mm. sheet is huge. So it's greater than 50,000 kilometers squared. Wow. And so an, an easy example of this is Antarctica. Antarctica is one giant ice sheet. It's huge. Mm. It's one massive, like, semi, it's not like, you know, a really peaked, peaked dome, but it's like a, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a, like a shallow dome and mm-hmm. uh, the ice flows out in all directions around it. Mm-hmm. So a subcategory of ice sheets would be an ice cap. So an ice cap mm-hmm. is the same as an ice sheet, except it's small. So it's like less than 50,000 kilometers per squared. Okay. So they're one of my favorite, favorite places in the world for geology stuff. Iceland has several Iceland. ice caps. But mm-hmm. I know I teased in one of our episodes, I talked about Eyjafjallajökull. So Eyjafjallajökull is in Iceland. And it's important to talk about, Jökull means glacier. Okay. Okay. So Eyjafjallajökull glacier in iceland and i apologize to anyone who speaks icelandic and i'm butchering it my bad i'm trying to do the best i can so (laughs) it's actually one of the smaller ice caps in the ice cap glaciers in iceland but it's probably i don't know it may or may not be familiar to some of our listeners because that glacier covers a stratovolcano and it specifically covers the caldera there's like a an impression in the middle of that that particular stratovolcano and in 2010 there was a, it was like a, it was a relatively minor eruption of that particular volcano, but it That's messed up. Smoke. Oh yeah. It messed up air travel for a whole week in Europe. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. What At happened, least, I mean, was it more than that? No, it was a week. It was about okay. a week. So the glacial ice was, it kind of, it semi-contained the eruption, you know, so it wasn't as effusive as it could have been. However, mm-hmm. What it did was, because it was so cold and the eruption happened, it really rapidly cooled the sa- the lava. It was mm-hmm. so rapid, in fact, that the lava became these tiny crystals of silica and, like, these fine ash particles mm. that were just ejected into the sky. Mm-hmm. And due to all the volcanic ash that was spewed out of the volcano, planes just couldn't fly because the mm-hmm. ash would have just damaged their, their engines and they would well, have gone down. Sea, probably. And... The flight, the, the seeing wasn't as much of a problem as the, the engines because the mm-hmm. engines would stop because there's too much junk in, crap in them. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it canceled about 95,000 flights. That's wow. a big yikes. Yeah. Um, well, a whole week of flights of like 24-hour-a-day flights. Like, in one of the most yeah. busy parts of Europe, yes. Yeah, Iceland, I think, has a lot of layovers and stuff well it's also it, all it northern yeah, europe it was right like europe. yeah it yeah. was almost all of europe it was it was yeah. incredible um except for you know like you know eastern russia and stuff like that but a lot mm-hmm. of europe was affected and there was also a huge concern in iceland for a yokola which we had talked about in our right we talked about that in the volcano episode or volcano episode yeah, volcanoes. so yeah. yokolas are what are what happened just as a reminder in case people didn't listen to that particular episode um when you get a flood that's caused by a volcanic eruption melting a glacier. Okay? Mm. So people in Iceland, when this happened, this this particular volcanic eruption happened, a lot of people who lived nearby evacuated because they didn't want mm-hmm. to, you know, potentially get caught by steaming, caught. muddy water, yes. glacial water. Yes. Yeah. And 
luckily the the flooding wasn't that bad there was some flooding but it was minimal and it was contained to the rivers essentially mm-hmm. so it was great that's good the thing is the farms near the volcano glacier duo they were covered in a layer of ash and the mm. farmers were really concerned because they thought it was going to ruin their crops however there's a reason that we live near volcanoes so what happens is when ash covers these plants especially in winter it actually helps protect the plants from you know moisture and damage so they actually had a better yield than they expected. That's good. <laughs> and also the nutrients from the ash fed the the plants as well. So yeah, I always heard that. That's why those Vesuvius tomatoes are like the best tomatoes in the world, or whatever, because they grow them in, in the fertile land of un, or surrounding Mount Vesuvius. I was so. say the fertile land of California. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wherever we get them. <laughs> yeah, wherever they come from in North America is completely different. But yeah, yeah. you know. In Europe, yes. <laughs> yeah, probably Mexico, actually, depending on the time of year. So. Yeah, I don't know. An- another greenhouses. Probably. Another ice cap that I wanted to talk about that I think is really interesting, I think Ellen will find interesting also, is uh, called... I found it if you Leocal interesting. I think I said it right. Close enough. So, yeah. Furtwängler is a glacier that's in Tanzania. Okay. Okay. So, it's on the top of Mount Kil- Kilimanjaro. Cool. So I was I- wondering about that when you were talking about... Um, glaciers near the equator because i think mount kilimanjaro is near the equator yeah yeah you're totally right it is very close to the equator and the sad thing though is that <laughs> it just it's also just because it's at, it's at a high elevation too and yeah. also but the thing is like at the equator you're getting more moisture and more snow so mm-hmm. that's why you can actually have a glacier forming even though you're so close to the equator you're almost on top of it mm-hmm. so almost on top yes so the i mean the sad fact of it is that it's lost 85 percent of its mass from 1912 to 2011. Mm, And it will probably... I'm sure a lot of glaciers have. It will probably be fully melted before 2060. No. People are projecting maybe 2040. It'll be almost... Wow, that's in our lifetime. That's upsetting. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't planning to hike there, but, you know, just just something to consider is just they're not getting... But it's just that it's more that just climate change in general is upsetting. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, you're just... The speed of climate change is upsetting. Yes, it's it's going away. It's not going to come back. So I would say Mm -hmm. get your tourism trips in now. That's all I was going to say. I want to go to Iceland. Can we go when COVID's over? Yes. So those were the two main end members, but there's also some kind of uh, intermediate or like in-between glaciers. So the two, let's repeat, the two main end members were valley glaciers and ice sheets. Yes. Those other two that we talked about were like subsets within those. Mm -hmm. So the third... It's not a main type, but it's kind of like a its own type would be an outlet glacier. And it's kind of in between a valley glacier and an ice sheet. So what happens is it's ice that flows through a valley, but the ice is derived from an adjacent ice sheet. (laughs) So an example of this. Glad we have this classified. So an example of this would be in Greenland. So at the Helheim glacier, the, you know, the Helheim, if people are familiar, that's the name for the land of the dead in Norse mythology. So, ooh, ooh, spooky. Why didn't you talk about this on Halloween? <laughs> and it actually feeds, this This glacier feeds the waters of the Helheim Fjord, which we'll talk about what a fjord is later because I'm down with fjords. They're really cool. Okay. Oh, so looking at it. It's also receding significantly. All of them are. That's fine. Yeah. There's also Piedmont glaciers, which are glaciers that discharge ice into a broad lowland Mm-hmm. so it's cool because they it, it's located at the base of a mountain so it's cool because mm-hmm. it actually looks like a giant fan of ice like that's a really interesting glacier to look at as well mm-hmm. so the malaspina glacier in alaska is an example of that it's like a beautiful example if you want to look that one up it's like the perfect okay so movement 
and movement and flow, you know, these things, we already mentioned that they have movement. So they actually have very specific types of movement. But the main thing to consider about any kind of any type of glacier movement is that gravity is king in all of our lives and glaciers move downhill. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like simple, except when it's not simple. So okay. <laughs> glaciers have different velocities depending on where in the glacier itself the ice and like where the ice is sitting. So okay. is if you're looking at a glacier, imagine like let's imagine that this ice is like a tube. So it's like, are you in the center of the tube? Are you on the top of the tube? Are you in the bottom of the tube? Are you along the sides? Mm-hmm. Each parts of the glacier have different types of flow and they have different mm-hmm. speeds of flow. Mm-hmm. So the long and short of it is anywhere that the ice touches something that's not ice, so mm-hmm. a valley wall or a valley floor, the ice gets slowed down due to friction. Okay, so that makes the sense. the fastest moving parts of your glacier are the points that are farthest away from the bedrock in all directions. Okay. So the what top... About the t- the top? The oh, top okay. middle is your fastest moving part of your glacier. Okay. Uh-huh. Makes sense? sense. Yeah. Yeah. And there are other factors that can cause like a regular movement, such as slippage, but those are those are the basics. Okay. And glaciers have flow throughout the entire body of the glacier. But also if you are looking at the bottom of the glacier between the glacier itself, the ice and the bedrock, mm-hmm. there's always it's a, we call that that very very bottom layer of ice we call it the basal ice okay because it's like the base the base ice mm-hmm. basal ice so there's a thin thin layer of water down there and it acts as a lubricant to give glaciers even more glide mm. the only yeah, place that, that would this, make sense the only place that this doesn't happen would be places like the poles where it's just freezing like the ground is freezing at depth and mm-hmm. it's too too cold for you to get even that little bit of water forming. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. You have low insulation, you know, such like not that. enough. Yeah. Interesting. Just not not enough freeze thaw action. Not enough warm. Not enough water mm. getting through. So. So yeah. So you're saying like basically, even though the ice is solid, still some water can permeate down to the bottom, or that water like comes from the bottom because it's insulated. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Either or. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just, Either are okay. fine. Either are possibilities. Okay. okay. Generally, though, I would say that. The, that point of glacial ice, there's, there really is no pore space for the water to percolate yeah, down in there unless there's some sort of ice structure in it. So like if there's a crevasse or some sort of foliation that like cracks through the ice, hmm. then you may get some water getting through. But sometimes you also have water like going down the sides between the, yeah, the, the ice valley. wall and the mm-hmm. rock, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, a lot of it just sense. accumulates in the bottom and pools in the bottom. Okay. And it's it's a thin layer. It's not like it's, yeah. you know, feet of water. It's like, no. you know, inches, centimeters, millimeters of water. But mm-hmm. it's enough to give you a lower coefficient of friction. So it's you like if you cracked away. all the way down to like bottom the bottom of a glacier, you would see some water. You'd see yes. that it's wet. Yeah, maybe. It's damp. Yeah. Yes. It's damp. <laughs> it's not completely dry, which totally makes sense. Yeah. So now we've gotten we've gotten through all the anatomy, we've gotten through all the boring stuff. Okay. <laughs> So it was interesting. No, let's I get into... I looked at into, some nice pictures of glaciers. I hope everybody else did at home. <laughs> let's do the best part, okay? Okay. Glacial landscapes are where it's at, <laughs> y'all, okay? Like, if it would ruin really the microphone, I would clap into the microphone to <laughs> emphasize the, like, you a clap like, emoji, but, like, out loud. about glaciers. <laughs> <Yes>. Morphology, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Glacial landscapes. 
<laughs> so they're actually broken cool. into kind of two main categories. We have erosional okay. features and depositional features. Erosion features are things where the glacial ice has scraped stuff away, you know, and mm-hmm. depositional features is where the ice has dropped stuff off. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of like the main differences between those two categories. So erosion and deposition. Correct. To deposit. Uh, yes. Deposit stuff. Okay. Drops and stuff erode. off. Erode. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So erosional features. <laughs> yes. So erosional features, ice has two main mechanisms for erosion. They either have abrasion and plucking or quarrying. I usually call it, I just go with plucking. I don't really talk about quarrying because that's okay. boring. Plucking is a much funnier term. To me. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. So ice abrasion, by the way, is kind of like a... Just like scraping. Yeah, scraping kind of term or, you know, grinding would be another okay. word that I would consider it. But ice doesn't abrade the rock on its own. You need other bits of rock to mm. abrade rock. You know okay. what I mean? Ice yeah, doesn't really cause the problem. It's other bits of rock that get caught in the ice that cause the problem. Mm-hmm. So this While type, scooting along the, yes. the bottom of the valley, it's picking up little bits of rock and then scraping it on the rest of the rock. Yes, by the, by the bottoms or the sides or it's on yeah, the top and then whatever. Mm-hmm. So this type of destruction you get, it depends on the type of rock that's there. It doesn't actually mm-hmm. really depend on the glacier itself, except glaciers are like the mechanism that transports the rock. Okay. But yeah, you get different kinds of, you know, gouges and whatever based on whatever type of material it was. Hmm. So it just depends on what you get. But yeah, a lot mm-hmm. of times you'll get things that are like crescentic gouges, like a crescent-shaped like gouge. A crescent? Yes. Okay. Or so loop. you're saying like a crescent, like when you imagine it, like the like bottom a crescent of the crescent moon. would be like the, the ground, like the base, it, I guess. It doesn't, yeah, it gouges, well, it gouges in the direction of flow. Okay. Okay, so, that makes sense. Yes. And then there's also things like lunate fractures, which are also shaped like the moon like a moon yeah they're <laughs> similar shapes i don't know why they just they're just slightly different but that's you know okay. they're all similar they're similarly shaped okay and they're all formed by grinding rock against rock okay plucking however which i like i think is much more interesting plucking <laughs> is a dislodgement or a lifting action that picks up uh-huh. surrounding rock and carries it away with the mm-hmm. movement of the glacier and you know one of the the outcomes of these things is erratics glacial erratics which mm-hmm. I love. They're like one of my favorite things ever. And usually what <laughs> happens is... with those is when you, a glacier picks up, usually, a lot of times it's like a sidewall or something, picks up a big old hunk of rock, mm-hmm. just carries it away and just carries it away. <laughs> and then when, when the glacier eventually melts or, you know, when it's reached the end of its journey, it just deposits that rock somewhere that it does not belong. And it just <laughs> is there and it makes no sense why it's there. You know, mm-hmm. people are like, why is this here? And it's like, oh, because the glacier millions of years ago decided to be a good it. idea to put it there. It's like, cool. <laughs> OK. So I just love erratics. There's a lot in Acadia National Park mm-hmm. and particularly one that's kind of famous. It's called Bubble Rock. I've been there. Yeah, we hiked to it together. Mm-hmm. It was mostly uphill. So Jane you know, be hugged prepared. the Bubble Rock. I did. I have, I have photos, <laughs> photographic evidence. But yeah, it's cool. And and that particular erratic bubble is rock about was cool. I was like, we're gonna go see a rock on top of a mountain. I guess it's kind of interesting. But no, it was, it definitely doesn't belong there. Yes, in a, such a weird. It's so weird. It's yeah. interesting, and it's also it's the size of a bus, so it's not it's like gigantic. It's, and it's, it's a giant boulder, tons and tons and tons. You know, so. Yeah. It's interesting to think that ice picked that up and carried it away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's just cool to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, it's erratic. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So, the plucking action is not actually determined necessarily by the material. You know, abrasion 
you get different types of abrasion de- depending on what type of material, what kind of rock there is. Mm-hmm. But flocking actually occurs because there's weaknesses that already exist in the bedrock mm. and the ice infiltrates, makes itself known. So that's okay. how the rock is doing all the, you know, rather than the type of walk, rock doing the work, it's the ice getting in and then, the and then making more, you know, making deeper and deeper fractures in your ice or mm. excuse me, in your bedrock. Your bedrock. Yes. Mm. So some of the examples of things that can form from this type of, you know, erosion we have undulating surfaces, which sound exactly like what they are. They look like surfaces that are not flat. They're just kind of wavy. Okay. <laughs> Geologists. Yeah. Uh, another type is a pothole, which looks like a <laughs> okay. hole in the ground that's uh-huh. rounded out. There's also troughs, which look like a trough. Mm-hmm. There's spindles, which look kind of like um, they're kind of like a needle shape. So they have like a pointy bit, and then they have it's like a like a teardrop kind of shape, but like much pointier. And that's but, like in the ground or like vertical? They're in the ground. It's in the bedrock. Yeah, it's in the bedrock. And it makes a... It just makes a, kind okay, of like It's a, like pointy and then it rounds out like a yes. teardrop. Okay, I see. Yep. And it all just depends on what type of weaknesses there are in the bedrock, what type of, you know, what type of bedrock they are in the first place, mm-hmm. and how the ice moves in to destroy them. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty great. And then roche Montanais are cool. You can Google one. I would recommend it. So roche Montanais are an extreme form of plucking. And what they do is they create a gentle sloping upstream. So like as the as the glacier is moving down its hill, you get mm-hmm. a, a gentle slope kind of shape on the upstream side. So the straw side. And then you get a steep rock face on the downstream side, the down ice oh. side. And it's called the lee side of this it's feature. It's kind of like so, pride rock. Where it's like yeah. a rock. It's like the, yeah, like sticking out like of the ramp. ground. Yeah, it's like a ramp. It's That's a, ramp. a good way to describe it's it. It's a ramp. That's what it is. It's a ramp. Yeah. But it has a much more, it's like much more jagged in appearance. But yeah, what's happening is you're getting. It looks like the, a wave kind of because it's like a, you get a little sloping bit of curve up action. and then like, a, yeah. So then, what happened? But that's yeah. that's actually interesting that you mentioned it because that's kind of how they're forming. So you have on the on the long side, you mm-hmm. have a you have a abrasive surface there. OK, mm-hmm. so you're getting abrasion along the the, you know, the floor of your glacier and the top of the bedrock mm-hmm. and then when the glacier curves over like a like a wave it kind of mm-hmm. curves it makes like a curve over action it actually kind of digs inward and scoops up pieces of rocks that are on the underside of this of this slope mm-hmm. and carries them away mm-hmm. through plucking action okay so i really like them they make they make really cool shapes and they're really they're pretty cool features. i'm looking at them on google so there are some other more specific features that are created through this kind of destructive action. Mm-hmm. So cirque glaciers in particular create a variety of different unique features. So mm-hmm. I was just going to talk about a couple. There's tons I could just, I could go on. We had to do a whole anatomy lesson in my class and there there was like at least 11 or 12 different things that we had to label mm-hmm. on those diagrams. And I was just like, I'm not going to talk about all this. So cirques generally <laughs> have, as I mentioned this earlier, but they have one wall that's kind of higher up. Mm-hmm. And and again, they're sitting in like a bowl, essentially. Mm-hmm. So they have one hall that's higher up. The reason they call it an amphitheater is because it does have walls around it. But one, one okay. wall is higher and then one wall is generally lower. Okay. And then the rest of it is kind of like sloped in between. So these cirques just, you know, for the most part, they sit in their little circular little divot that they created. They're all snug as a bug in a rub. But on, on the low side, they kind of creep over and then they start to turn to valley glaciers. Mm-hmm. So underneath a cirque, if... If, not all the time, but a lot of times, water will pool underneath mm-hmm. the cirque. Because it's circle. 
Yes. And so those form little lakes and they call these mm. lakes tarns. Tarn is the name for a lake mm. that's at the center underneath a cirque. Okay. And then another kind of feature that can form is when you have multiple cirques side by side, they gouge out everything around it except for it's usually three cirques. So you have one, two, three circles that are next to each other and all that's left really? in the very it's middle. Specifically three? Generally, yeah. Three or four, wow, but it's weird. generally three. Um okay. they form a what they call a horn. Okay. Uh-huh. So it's just like a pointy bit that's left a behind pointy when mountain the rest bit. is yeah when the rest is is gouged away. So mm-hmm. Matterhorn is named mm. for that reason because it's a mm. glacial horn, I see. and it's a perfect example of one. So it's a pointy peak that's left behind after multiple glacial cirques swallowed up the land around it. It is real pointy. Another type of landform that forms out of cirques is an arete. So an arete is a sharp, thin ridge. It's left after two glaciers swallowed up the rock on either side of it. Oh, so it's like a it's a ridge. So it's longer. It's than a ridge. Just a peak. Yeah, and okay, it's like I a see. point. It's like a pointy ridge. Yeah, that makes know? sense. And an example of this would be Striding Edge, which is in Northwest England. Mm-hmm. And it's like a lot of people. It's famous for people to go like walking and stuff. It's um, you know a nice national treasure up there. Hmm. So those are all the like those are cirques and also some of the like you know the peaks that we get out of are glacial landforms but another thing that we get i've seen so many photos of the matterhorn but i've never really looked at the base yeah like it's so it looks like garbage from the well yeah because it's all cirques (laughs) they were cirques that just that ate away the outside edge of it that's why it looks so weird yeah it's funny (laughs) you never looked at matterhorn where you haven't really thought about it i mean i've looked at the matter like photos of matterhorn where it's like oh look beautiful like swiss countryside and then you know like towering snow-covered mountain in the background and it's like oh beautiful but if you really look at the Matterhorn it's like it's like all these weird <laughs> jagged you're totally right though that's exactly shapes. what it is yes <laughs> like the, it, you know <laughs> the ice I've always looked at it above. as the like the contrast between like the valley you know the flow- floral well, valley yeah because everybody takes like, a picture from the bottom looking up yeah, but you never really see it from the top looking <laughs> down how weird it looks <laughs> or just like photos where it's like on the you know when it's not from the field below any yes. any photo where it's only the rock surface is like wow it does look really weird it's <laughs> funny yeah matterhorn was one of the ones we studied cool. distinctly it is it's, it's interesting cool. but yeah it's, it's yeah. because of all those glacial cirques that were surrounding it and just nom nom nommed away just cut it out like a cookie cutter around mm-hmm. the edges of it and all that's left mm-hmm. is that weird peak that's in the middle it's very interesting so we have oh so the next kind of so those are like our peaks and then we have our troughs so glaciers when they erode especially valley glaciers, they also create a bunch of features once the glacier mm-hmm. melts away. Mm-hmm. So we have two different types of valleys that we talk about in in geology. We talk about U-shaped valleys and we talk about V-shaped valleys. U-shaped valleys are the herald of glacial morphology. If you see a U-shaped valley, you know that a glacier made it. Okay. Rivers, however, rivers erode in a V-shape. They're much more narrow. They're more mm-hmm. of a pointy erosion. An easy example of this is Grand Canyon. Yeah, if you look it at is a, very pointy. Yeah, if you look at it at a cross section, it's hard to it's harder to see from like top down sometimes. But if you look at it in a cross section, you can see that there's a much more triangular shape to the valley made, because it's made by the Colorado River. Mm-hmm. Rather, than, I think you can even see it from the top though. I mean, if you're yeah. looking down to the Grand Canyon, you can see how how much of a, a cut it is, and you can see how the the land. Um, it does come down in like a V shape. I mean, it's not a perfect V, but yeah. it's more gradually coming down to the center where the, the base, where the river is, I guess. And on the other hand, glaciers, they have much more vertical walls 
and a more rounded bottom, you know, a much mm. wider valley in the bottom that's more rounded. And Leh Valley in India, which is part of the Indian portion of the Himalayas, mm-hmm. has like one of the most beautiful U-shaped valleys I've ever seen. It's beautiful. How do you spell it? L-E-H is how you spell it. It's gorgeous. You can also see in Yosemite because in Yosemite you have Half Dome, which was oh, literally uh, taken out a by dome. a glacier. It was a go- It used yeah. to be a dome. And then a glacier happened, and now it has a sheer cliff wall to it because it's a a U-shaped valley. Almost almost 90-degree cliff wall. Yeah. It's because of a glacier. (laughs) A glacier did that. Interesting. Some of the other shapes you get from, you know, trough shapes is you get something called a hanging valley. So a hanging valley is essentially like a stair step. So you get a flat surface, and then you get a sharpish cliff, and then you get another flat surface, and then a sharp cliff, and it repeats Mm. in this, like, stair step pattern. So obviously moving in a downward direction. Yeah. Now, the areas in the flat part of the Hanging Valley may have a depression in them. So when a glacier melts, they actually fill it up with water. And because of that, you get a series of these little stair-step cliffs with little lakes in them. Hmm. And we call these lakes Paternoster Lakes. Paternoster. So Paternoster is Latin, and it means our father. Our father. Uh Yes. Which is, you know, the the name of the Lord's Prayer in Latin. But Uh they're named this because... It, from above, these lakes look like rosary beads because they're like, okay. it's like yeah, a little... it's like land, then water, and then, then land, times, then water. Yeah, and then a lot of times on the, the cliff edge, you'll actually have a small waterfall that'll lead mm. into the other ones. So it has like, so they're like connected and they really do look mm. like rosary beads. They're super distinct. Interesting. So Glacier National Park has some gorgeous, gorgeous Paternoster Lakes. And I want to visit them one day. I haven't been there yet, but I would love, love, love to visit them. That's like bucket list oh yeah they do look like that geologists are very simple we just name it what it looks like it like, looks like a rosary we're gonna call it pattern Oster lakes you know did what you I mean? say this is um in in glacier national park you yes can see them. okay yes i cool. think it's like a series of six lakes it's five or six lakes that are all connected like that and they're super cute another famous feature that a lot of people are probably familiar with that come with u-shaped valleys are fjords and fjords and more than anything they're just fun to say right okay i can agree with that yes fjords are glacially created troughs that are filled with water so they're u-shaped valleys that instead of just being a valley they're filled with water okay yeah and so a lot of times they end up becoming you know channels into the ocean um or Mm -hmm. bays something like Mm -hmm. that so sonja fjord sonja fjord is a fjord that's in norway Mm -hmm. and it is the longest and deepest fjord in norway and it's Mm -hmm. it's also really pretty to look at it's gorgeous Now, a fjord. A fjord is basically just a small fjord. So <laughs> okay. usually a lot of times it's not as deep as a fjord mm. is, and it may be a little more narrow. But an example of a fjord is Psalm Sound, which is in Acadia National Park. Yeah. Which we've been to before. I've and seen it. I was really it. excited about it. I it was like, is Look a, at this fjord. It is a pretty short fjord, though. When you think of, or like, whatever, a fjord, when you think of a fjord, you're like, it's real tall on the side, and there's water in the middle. Um... But yeah, that fjord is, it's a lot shorter. It's still nice. It's beautiful. But <laughs> it's glacial. It's not like the ones, it was not created, like the one in Norway. It was created by a glacier and that's what's important. That's what matters. Okay? Yes. <laughs> it's not the size that matters. It was the way that it was made. That matters. Yes. Okay. So we don't have just, ero- so those are all like, those were all erosional features, but now mm-hmm. we're moving into depositional features. Okay. So I did talk about how. Wait, so I have a question. Yeah. Uh, Plucking counts as an erosional feature. Yeah, because you pick it up and carry it off somewhere else. Yeah, but then it deposits it somewhere. Yeah, so we talk about the deposits later. Okay. We just <laughs> talked about the plucking. Okay, which I is understand. The, the act of erosion. But now I we're understand. depositing that erosive stuff that we just picked up. 
Okay, I understand. I understand so, how you're categorizing this. I guess. So for well, I'm not doing. And geolog- by you, I mean yeah. This yeah. Is by you, I mean <laughs> geologists have categorized. Have this. decided that that's just how it is. Yes. So for depositional fi- features, these occur when glaciers pick up junk along its merry way, yep. and just like we all pick up baggage in our life, and glaciers <laughs> just have much in- more interesting ways of dumping it up than we do. So <laughs> we talk about it in a couple different ways. One of the one of the terms that we use is till. Till is any material that the glacier picked up that's unsorted, so it doesn't have any, you know, rhyme or reason to it, and it just gets deposited. Okay. And that's it. It just gets dropped off, and a lot of times when we talk about sorting, we talk about with, particularly with water, because by water rushing over a substance, a lot of times the heavier stuff will drop out of the water the lighter mm-hmm. stuff will be carried farther. So you get what's called sorting where you have different size particles and that's something that's sorting. Mm-hmm. You also get a process of um, you can have more angular pieces or more round pieces because, you know, they're more damaged by water. So they get banged around a lot more. So they're rounded. Mm-hmm. So glacier glacial till is very, very angular and it's completely unsorted. Mm. It's just a jumbled pile of mess. Okay. It's just like the glacier gets the end. It's just like. Here's all the crap that I brought. Yes. It doesn't, okay. once it gets picked up by the ice, the material gets picked up by the ice, it doesn't get sorted at all. It just gets dumped. It's just there. Uh-huh. You know what yeah. I mean? So that it's like, sense. that's why it's just a pile of junk. It also doesn't seem to get rounded very much. You said it's all No, because it's literally just picked up and then in, it, it is encased in ice until it makes its way to wherever it's deposited hmm. and then just sits okay. there. So there's actually, well, sometimes till is deposited at the, you know, the end, the terminus of a glacier. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a, there's, lodge it's um gets deposited shoved into the valley walls of the glacier mm-hmm. so it gets picked up somewhere else and it gets shoved into the walls and gets stuck in there and that's called okay. lodgement till so okay. you'll see walls of lodgement till along some mm. glacial valleys mm-hmm. sometimes it drops when the glaciers melts which is the subglacial meltout till mm-hmm. sometimes the glacier grinds rocks into other rocks below it mm-hmm. <laughs> and it creates this like this this like gravel like mixed bed of different rocks Hmm. from different times and different places mm-hmm. and then the glacier just leaves and just leaves this like this like divot of yeah, just jumbled rocks gravel. and it's okay. just called deformation till okay so that you know those are some of the types of till but then we get into our sediments that actually have some sort of plan to them so an example of this would be outwash so outwash okay. is a term used for sediment that's deposited at the end of a glacier but it's also deposited with some water so you get some stratification you get some sorting to it stratification meaning layers you get some layers Mm -hmm. to it a lot of times they're deposited in stream channels and then Mm -hmm. they're helped moved along by the stream okay so because of that water action they end up being well-rounded and well-sorted which Mm -hmm. i you know kind of briefly mentioned Mm -hmm. another type of depositional feature that we get and this one is formed from ice contact uh, okay. And you get an accumulation of rocks that are picked up by the glacier and deposited along various margins of the glacier. It could be along the sides. It could be along the bottom. It could be, you know, in various places. So the the overarching category of this type of deposition is a moraine. So we have okay. the term moraine. So we have terminal moraines, which, as you can guess, they're at the farthest the point of the end of the glacier. And these are not helped along by water. That's why they're not outwashes. They're moraines. Okay. And then we also have lateral moraines. Lateral moraines are along the sides of the valley. Mm-hmm. And probably the final feature we'll talk about is drumlins. So 
Drumlins are interesting because... Good name. <laughs> yeah. Because they're one of the few glacial features that scientists have not really decided exactly what's happening and why they're huh. doing this. So there's still, there's still debate today about how they're being made. So mm. the way that drumlins look is that they're elongated. They're like a long, they're a hill, okay? So mm -hmm. they're a hill that's elongated and it's parallel to the direction that the ice flowed in. Okay? okay. So it's the same direction that the ice was flowing. The hills are made up of glacial deposits and they, at the, at the back end of the drumlin, mm -hmm. they are higher and wider. And at the front end, they're much more narrow. Hmm. So at the th at the so it's like so kind of the opposite. Teardrop. Yeah, yeah. It's basically, it's like a different, and it's not exactly perfect. Not but like it's, a needle, it's, but yeah. it's it's almost the exact opposite of you know our our hanging walls or our uh, roche matinees. You know, they're like almost the exact opposite of what you would expect. So I think that's part of the reason why scientists are like, "What the heck is happening here?" Mm -hmm. They do kind of people a lot of times describe them their shape as kind of like an inverted spoon you know where you have like a you know have the spoon and you have the handle of it except that mm -hmm. there's you know the a very short handle doesn't really have that extended handle mm -hmm. with it but they form in small clusters you hardly ever find one on its own hmm. and they don't form in all glacial landscapes they're they're not found everywhere they're pretty unique and somewhat rare, but huh. a good example and one of the largest groups of drumlins globally is the Horicon Marsh in Wisconsin. So it's a good place mm. to look and see. But it's just it's just interesting. It's just very. It's there's kind of three major theories about how they form. The first theory says when moving ice erodes, it transports, and it streamlines pre-existing deposits. So it's like you already had something deposited there, and then it erodes it again, and that's how you get drumlins. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's one example. Or, excuse me, one theory. Because it's glacial deposits. Like, you can tell they're, like, you know, angular sediment pieces. So you know that they were mm -hmm. deposited by a glacier. So that's why they think, you know, okay. it was already something that was already there, and then they, they go over it again. It was moved around. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. So theory number two is super, super technical. And I'm going to skip it because it's it has to do with thermodynamics, and I was not even going to bother talking about really? it. Really? Yes. But theory number three is drumlins form from features derived from infilling, you know, cavities that are cut okay. into the basal ice. So they actually think that there's, um, there's like oh, there's cavities a cavity in the basal or, ice, and yes. as it's moving, then it's the whatever the sediment rock fills, fills it in. in. The sediment fills yes. it in. Okay. So huh. the ice closest to the huh. Hmm. And also combine that with some meltwater floods, and that's supposed to cause them. Mm-hmm. So there are a ton more features. So if you're interested in glaciers, I highly recommend. We didn't talk about, you know, half of the features we could have talked about. The 101. Yeah, these yeah. are just some of the more commonly studied ones. And cool. even then, you know, this is not even close to an exhaustive list. So hmm. I highly recommend that you, you know, go search and find some stuff that's interesting to you. But anyway, the point is, be a glacier. Dump your baggage whenever it's convenient. That's just all I gotta <laughs> say about that. That's the long and short of this. When you're when you're ready to change, dump your baggage. Absolutely. Dump your erratics. No, when you're when your load has over exceeded your ability to carry, dump your baggage. That's all I gotta <laughs> say about that. I like it. <laughs> it's a good metaphor for life. You know. It's yeah. just good in general. Also just be a glacier. Just gouge everything out that's in your way. <laughs> <laughs> be frigid and rigid. Yes.
No, there's still some flow. They got some flow to it. That's true. Be frigid, but also flow. Yeah, have some flexibility. Yeah. <laughs> some plasticity. Dump the stuff you don't need. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I feel like I learned a lot about glaciers. I also saw lots of nice pictures of glaciers and mountains. I was thinking about stuff. Other, I was like, I was like, wait, be yourself. And if you carry other things on you, you can use them to scrape against the world. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what else can I say? Carve out your own place in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm glad that you were able to see some gorgeous pictures. And I, I that's another thing I recommend to our viewers. I know this is an audio podcast. Viewers. So that's helpful. Our listeners. <laughs> so I, I highly recommend becoming a viewer and looking up pictures <laughs> of glaciers because it's fascinating there's just so many different interesting features that can be seen and some of my favorite glaciers to look at are actually the ones that are coastal in alaska because it's interesting mm. seeing their interactions with you know ocean water mm-hmm. so those are some of my favorites to look at but you know any and all glaciers great <laughs> any and all glaciers yes <laughs> also look at the matterhorn look we don't at how judge. weird it looks yeah we don't judge you can Think, consider the matterhorn deeply if you haven't before stare at the matterhorn <laughs> <laughs> listen to the Matterhorn. Listen to the sound of you touching the Matterhorn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Okay. Well, it sounds like that's about it for this time. So if you, you can still, you still haven't missed your opportunity to tell us about your favorite rocks and minerals. So if anybody wants to do that, you can send us a, a message. Also, if you want to talk about your research or let us know what kind of geological research you're doing, um, we'd like to hear about that. I think that would be really interesting. So you can send us a direct message or you can tag us on our Twitter at SadMyDearPod. You can message us or comment on our Instagram, which is also SadMyDearPod. You can send a message to our website, which is SedimentaryMyDear.com, or you can email us directly at SedimentaryPodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we would be we would love to hear any feedback, good, bad, ugly. Uh, <laughs> but more importantly, we would love to hear what kind of rocks you like because... I'd like to hear your field research stories or about when you visited the glaciers in Iceland or something. I think that would be... It'll be fun. Yeah, or if you went on vacation somewhere, or if you have a dream to go on vacation, just like I do. <laughs> I have several dream vacation I you locations. Say if you had a dream that you were in Iceland. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, yeah, if you had a dream in Iceland, tell, tell me about it. I would love to hear. <laughs> what was in this dream? What did you do in Iceland? And then I was chased by a rock hammer. And then... <laughs> <laughs> we can just have like a Freud section. Like, what does this mean? What does this dream, dream interpretation mean? with yes. Ellen and Jane? Yeah, sounds good. Um, Something about your childhood. (laughs) What are you going to talk about next time? So I think next time, if you guys didn't have enough of glaciers, be glad because I'm going to probably do another (laughs) glacier episode because I have a lot to say about glaciers. So the thing is, we talked about, you know, the anatomy, the movement and the structures that are within glaciers and created Mm -hmm. by glaciers. But what we did not talk about is the significance of glaciers with climate in the globe so we're gonna be talking about glaciers and how they fit into the grand scheme of our climate on earth okay so they have a huge significance for how we define our climate and what's going on in Mm. the in the world at the time so Mm. we're going to talk about kind of it'll be really our first you know major dive into any sort of paleoclimatology and i plan i have i took a whole class on paleoclimatology I could talk so much about it, but I think for now I just want to focus on, you know, glacial aspects and how they are affected by various, you know, functions of Earth at the time. Mm. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, I hope you're excited. Sorry if you are not excited excited to hear more glaciers, (laughs) Uh, but I promise the next week we'll do our glacier and then the week after that will not be glaciers anymore. Not be glaciers. (laughs) Don't have to worry about it. Just skip the next one.
Okay. All right. Good. I'm excited. Thank you all for listening. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Our main source for this episode is Process Geomorphology, 5th edition, by Ritter, Cockle, and Miller. Music for its sedimentary, my dear, is provided by Solar Slays. You can find his music at youtube.com slash user slash C-C-F-U-L.